Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associates Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 12, Issue Number 31, which corresponds with the week of July 18th of 2022, and this is Coronavirus Update Number 66. First, the free thoughts. When we have global flares of COVID-19, there's clear evidence now that individuals that are immune compromised have become breeding grounds for genomic mutations in SARS-2 leading to variants of concern. These variants become our new circulating troublemakers. Thus, in my opinion, we should be making vaccines in this country that are high quality and targeted to the current strain. Then we should be releasing it worldwide very quickly to people in immunocompromised states. This should have the effect of slowing down these emerging variants of concern that are evading our natural and vaccine-induced immunity. Okay. In update number 66, what do we see? North Carolina continues to look pre-pandemic. People are going about their business as if COVID is finally a non-issue. We are seeing very limited disease at our office in children for COVID. We haven't seen a single MIS case in quite a long time. North Carolina itself, by the data, says there are 4% of admitted patients needing a ventilator and 11% needing an ICU bed for COVID. This is a low number compared to historical averages in the past two years. Seven-day moving average for cases in the U.S. is somewhere between 100 and 130,000, although this is way less than the actual number as most people aren't even going in to get tested. They're doing home kits and not reporting it. So there's probably a ton of disease out there. But as we can tell, we're not seeing a lot of that translate to hospitalizations and death. So risk is very, very low. As with earlier, the risk of dying from this virus now if you've had a two-dose series or survived natural infection is 0.000033. As it stands now in the United States, has had 1.02 million deaths. That's a sad number. And as always, these are the numbers that we should be talking about in and with respect to why we had such high numbers compared to others. And in the coming weeks, we're gonna get into that, but you clearly know by now, after following this newsletter for quite a time, that is related to lifestyle decisions and diseases that people have from, unfortunately, choosing to eat poor quality food, be stressed and exposed to chemicals for a repeated basis of time that leads to inflammation states that then are hijacked by the virus, especially as we age. Okay, Omicron, the U.S. strain now circulating in primary volume, as of the data around the time of this podcast, noted that BA.2 had about a 1% gain sharehold, BA.4 was 16%, and BA.5 now was owning around 65%, with BA, or excuse me, with B2.12.1 holding 17%. This COVID wave is in line with volumes from wave three, which was Delta. B8.5 is taking over as a new strain with excellent immune evading and vaccine evading skills. Every other strain is fading quickly. All strains of Omicron are showing no signs of increased disease morbidity. Infectiousness, yes, but death and morbidity, no. North Carolina data is very clear here as we are transitioning to B8.5 we are not seeing any uptick in hospitalizations and death in the in this state. The national data seems to follow this as well. 
the infectiousness of this virus still continues to look like measles with a very, very rapid R0. As always, you can see the variants on the CDC webpage that is noted in the links in the newsletter and get a little more granular data. So I had some thoughts this week. As I was walking on the beach with my wife, I was marveling at the fact that there still is enough information worthy of me writing about this virus and the disease COVID-19 every single other week. I would have never believed this one or two years ago. That being said, the government is now pressing for Omicron-specific strain vaccines for the fall, which makes sense if we want a slow transmission, as the current Generation 1 boosters are not useful in this regard. Novavax is going to be now in this space as well for those that are uninterested in the novel mRNA vaccine type. See my later point in number two about vaccinating the immune compromised globally if we want to slow the mutational spread, which is the only way to stop the ever-present need for more vaccine changes in the whack-a-mole that we're playing. I find it interesting that the powers that be on a national stage are again promoting doom and gloom with BA.5 despite no signs of increased morbidity, which is the true metric of a problem. Increased infectiousness is certainly annoying and a true reality, but fear of this strain appears to be misplaced now. The new reality for the world needs to be a working hard on reducing future mutations, which appears to be highly associated with immune compromised status in humans. Mask mandates are being looked at again in places like Los Angeles. When will it end? Who knows? I'll be surprised if these things go into place because I think you're going to have mutinies in these cities, but we'll see. I'm still struggling with the national guidance for mask boosting for the healthy and the younger aged. Scientifically, it makes little to no sense to me right now in this context of the function of the current mRNA vaccines. The uptake of the boosters in these groups is a referendum on the guidance, as very few people find a good choice. 198 million Americans over 18 have received the two-dose primary series, which is a good volume, and helped stop lots of death. 101 million received the first booster, and only 17 million have received the next or more boosters. That response is vastly different than political or some other ideology. It is the truth that they don't work well and for any reasonable length of time. I find it a brilliant idea to vaccinate those individuals with immune issues globally every three to six months based on the latest data. This sounds like a viable strategy for some mutational control. Let's move on to some quick hits. From a study by the Veterans Administration Affairs Administration, we have this report. First infection with SARS-CoV-2 is associated with increased risk of acute and post-acute death and sequelae in pulmonary and extrapulmonary organ systems. However, whether reinfection adds to the risk incurred after the first infection is not clear. Here we use the National Healthcare Database for the U.S. Departments of Veterans Affairs to build a cohort of people with first infection, roughly 260,000, reinfection, which is two or more infections, which is around 39,000 people, and a non-infected control group of 5,400,000, roughly. To estimate the risks and the six-month burdens of all-cause mortality, hospitalization, and a set of pre-specified incident outcomes. We show that compared to people with first infection, reinfection contributes additional risks of all-cause mortality, hospitalization, and adverse health outcomes in the pulmonary and several extrapulmonary organ systems. Cardiovascular disorders, coagulation, hematologic disorders, diabetes, fatigue, 
gastrointestinal disorders, kidney disorders, mental health disorders, mucosal disorders, musculoskeletal disorders, neurologic disorders are all at play. The risks were evident in those who were unvaccinated, had one shot or two or more shots prior to the second infection. The risks were most pronounced in the acute phase, but persisted in the post-acute phase of reinfection, and most were still evident at six months after reinfection. Compared to non-infected controls, assessment of the cumulative risks of repeated infections showed that the risk and burden increased in a graded fashion according to the number of infections. The constellation of findings show that reinfection adds non-trivial risks of all-cause mortality, hospitalization, and adverse health outcomes in the acute and post-acute phase of reinfection. Reducing the overall burden of death and disease due to SARS-CoV-2 requires strategies for reinfection prevention. This comes from Al Ali et al. A L hyphen A L Y in 2022. For me, this is concerning data overall. However, this is a 90% male population at the VA system with an unknown comorbidity situation. These patients are in the VA system, making the comorbidity situation likely quite high. That in turn would denote increased inflammatory risks, which in turn causes increased tissue damage and increased disease concerns as stated. However, this begs the reality that we need high quality newly Omicron BA.5 or 4 targeted vaccines to stem this tide until a new variant plagues us. Or the webs that weave, the webs that we weave in the fight against this little trickster. Number two. From a study in Nature Medicine, the authors state, in some immunocompromised patients with chronic severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, otherwise known as SARS-CoV-2 infection, considerable adaptive evolution occurs. Some substitutions found in chronic infections are lineage-defined mutations and variants of concern, VOCs, which has led to the hypothesis that VOCs emerge from chronic infections. In this study, we searched for drivers of VOC-like emergence by consolidating sequencing results from a set of 27 chronic infections. Most substitutions in this set reflected lineage-defining VOC mutations. However, a subset of mutations associated with successful global transmission was absent from chronic infections. We further tested the ability to associate antibody evasion mutations with the patient-specific and virus-specific features and found that viral rebound is strongly correlated with the emergency of antibody evasion. We found evidence for dynamic polymorphic viral populations in most patients, suggesting that a compromised immune system selects for antibody evasion in particular niches in a patient's body. We suggest that a trade-off exists between antibody evasion and transmissibility, and that extensive monitoring for chronic infections is necessary to ver further understand the VOC emergence. Harari et al., H-A-R-A-R-I, 2022. So when we have global flares of COVID-19, there's clear evidence now that individuals that are in immune-compromised states, let's say HIV, have become breeding grounds for genomic mutations in SARS-CoV-2, leading to variants of concern. The virus, in individuals with impaired immunability, has the ability to slowly replicate over a prolonged period of time, adding more and more mutations that eventually lead to better transmission and spread. This occurs because the immune system does not effectively kill the virus in the normal three to eight day time frame, leading to months of replicative activity. These variants become our new circulating troublemakers. Thus, in my opinion, we should be making vaccines in this country that are high quality and targeted to the current circulating strain. 
then we should be releasing it worldwide very quickly to people in immune-compromised states first. This should have the effect of slowing down these emerging VOCs that are evading our natural and vaccine-induced immunity due to immune dysfunctions. We will be stuck in a whack-a-mole variant world for a long time until we get the immunocompromised reservoirs protected from infection globally, in my opinion, although this may be logistically impossible. Number three, some gene single nucleotide polymorphisms are associated with worse outcome from COVID. This part continued from last week looks like a reality that we all have SNPs of varying degrees in our genome and that they are only of interest when we get severely sick or inflamed during an illness. The tissue damage during this illness exposes our own tissues and immune system to each other, leading to overreactions that could be seen as autoimmunity and cancer over time. Grolmush et al., G-R-O-L-M-U-S-Z et al., 2022. It is highly concerning that COVID-19 will be the genesis of a whole new wave of these types of diseases in individuals with comorbid disease, single nucleotide polymorphisms, and time. The soup has been made for many, and we will be waiting for these shoes to drop. Four, vaccine boosters coming out this fall will contain viral segments from earlier strains, as well as newer BA.4 and BA.5. This should really help those that take it to resist the virus's ability to make us symptomatically sick for now. Current boosters offer little to no value to us that are not in a high-risk pool and have natural illness, as I had in February. From a National Geographic article, quote, additionally, not all experts agree that boosters are necessary once people pass the somewhat arbitrary threshold of age 50. Quote, I think this sort of just blanket notion of everybody over 50 getting this vaccine doesn't make sense, says Paul Offit, a professor of pediatrics in the Division of Infectious Disease at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and one of the two FDA advisory committee members who voted against including Omicron components in the fall boosters. It makes more sense for people over age 70 because their less vigorous immune systems aren't as good at stopping a mild infection from progressing to a moderate or severe one, Offit said. But at age 71 himself, Offit has only gotten his first booster. He feels a single extra shot along with the fact that he's had recent natural COVID-19 infection, offers about as much protection as possible because antibody levels fall so quickly after getting additional boosters. Adults over 50 who have had Omicron infection in the last six months already have more immunity from the infection than they'd get from another booster shot, based on the data presented in the June 28th committee meeting. End quote. Hiel et al. H-A-E-L-L-E 2022. Dr. Paul Offit is a very interesting man who has studied this science for quite a long time, and I look forward to speaking with him on August 17th on the podcast. We're going to go deep into this world of vaccines and what's the future going to look like. Mucosal vaccines is one thing I really want to touch on with him, which would be a spray version into your nose, which would have a much, much higher ability to build immunity where the virus actually shows up. A lot to be seen here. Five, in a recent study of U.S. blood donations, the combined seroprevalence from infection or vaccination reached 94.7% by December of 2021, Jones et al. 2022. We are creeping towards a place where every single person in this country has had SARS-2 infection and or vaccination. Thus, we remain in a very enviable place 
with regards to death and hospitalization moving forward. Variants will come and go, cause us irritation due to increased transmissibility and immune escape from prior infections. However, there are zero signs that increased severity will show up. I remain steadfast in the belief that lifestyle decisions that promote immune solvency are by far the best avenue to disease prevention and morbidity prevention moving forward. Vaccines are useful for high-risk individuals, but not at the expense of quality self-care. A vaccine booster is no longer going to be the savior from bad outcomes if you are inflamed and generally unhealthy in the new variant world as we will likely be playing variant whack-a-mole with vaccine production. Again, said it a thousand times, this world that we live in is predicated on us taking care of our immune systems, keeping them solvent so they can handle pathogens. If you do not take care of yourself, this is, is going to be a very difficult existence as more and more pathogens emerge. Number six, from Dr. Kerner's article, we see, for example, the discovery that the pathogenesis of the disease in 20% of patients with critical COVID-19 pneumonia can be explained by either IEIs of type 1 interferon immunity or pre-existing autoantibodies naturalizing, neutralizing type 1 interferons is an outstanding finding for common infections, for which monogenic lesions have never been shown to underlie more than 1% of cases for other conditions. Also, genome-wide association data suggests that the risk of hospitalization for COVID-19 is 60% higher in carriers of the Neanderthal haplotype, which is at least three times more frequent in individuals of South Asian descent, greater than 50%, than in individuals of European ancestry, 16%. This, together with unaccounted sociodemographic factors, may partially explain the higher risk of infection and hospitalization seen in minorities of South Asian ancestry living in the UK. Two independent studies aiming to determine the cellular basis of the increase in the risk of disease, severe disease is associated with this locus having suggested that this outcome may result from a decrease in CXCR6 levels. CXCR is a chemokine involved in immune transmission of information and turning on systems of pathogen killing. Kerner et al. wrote that in 2022. This is truly the future of medicine, where we have targeted data that gives us windows of opportunity into risks of various pathogens moving forward based on genetic heritage and immune makeup based on it. The future is so bright as technology opens up our eyes. Number seven. Children lost significant volumes of movement time over the pandemic. From JAMA Pediatrics, we note 22 studies, including 46 independent samples and 79 effect sizes from 14,216 participants, median age of 10.5, were included. The percentage change in the duration of engagement in total daily physical activity from before to during COVID-19 was 20% in the negative direction. Moderation analysis revealed that changes were larger for high-intensive activities, corresponding to a 17-minute reduction in children's daily moderate to vigorous physical activity levels. The reduction of physical activity was also larger for samples located at higher latitudes and for studies with a longer duration between physical activity assessments. This comes to us from Neville et al., N-E-V-I-L-L-E, 2022. This has multiple long-term consequences to these children. 
Metabolism dysregulation through hyperglycemia from lack of insulin-independent glucose muscle uptake, immune dysregulation from sedentary and metabolic shifts in immune macrophage and cell polarity, lipid dysregulation, and much more. Movement is critical for long- and short-term health. We have to get these kids moving again. Number eight, the effectiveness of previous infection alone against symptomatic BA.2 infection was 46.1%. The effectiveness of vaccine with two doses of BNT162B2 and no previous infection was negligible, but nearly all persons had received their second dose more than six months earlier. The effectiveness of three doses of the mRNA vaccine and no previous infection was 52.2%. The effectiveness of previous infection and two doses of mRNA vaccine was 55.1%. And the effectiveness of previous infection and three doses of the mRNA vaccine was 77.3%. Previous infection alone, mRNA vaccination alone, and hybrid immunity all showed strong effectiveness greater than 70% against severe, critical, and fatal COVID-19 disease due to BA.2 infection. Similar results were observed in analyses of effectiveness against BA.1 infection and of vaccination with mRNA-1273. This comes to us from Altera Wen et al., A-L-T-A-R-A-W-E-N-H et al. in 2022. For me, these results are in line with most of the data related to previous variants as the protection against severe disease is great across all groups that were vaccinated and infected or a hybrid of both. The three-dose benefit is misleading as the time to measure that 77% number was 45 days or less in the study participants. The waning value of the third booster is two months in general, so that data doesn't really give us a clear picture. I think the simple answer is hybrid immunity is great. If you've had two doses of vaccine and had natural disease, you have the best immunity you can imagine moving forward, as we've discussed many, many times with epitope spread. Okay, moving on to section two. Chronic rhinosinusitis. There are a lot of reasons that people suffer from chronic sinus and nasal inflammation leading to recurrent bacterial and viral infections. I liken this inflammation to having a hot tub with no chemicals in it. It becomes a petri dish for pathogens to grow. The key issue here is not the infections, but the medium that exists to allow them to grow well. The two main reasons that these issues develop in children are one, chronic exposure to outdoor and indoor allergens for which the person is sensitized, driving mucus inflammation, which is the perfect medium. Two, recurrent exposure to foods that trigger inflammation, i.e., the thing we see the most is casein dairy proteins from consuming dairy products. There are other reasons like genetic innate immune dysfunctions that lead to pathogens having an enhanced ability to propagate. An example here would be issues related to NLRP3 inflammasomes. These innate immune proteins are poised to respond to a pathogen upon first exposure regardless of prior exposure. If they are not functioning properly, then we will see an overall increase in issues in inflammation and rhinitis. Yang et al. 2022. The answer here is to control what you can control. If you have allergies and have data as to what you are allergic to, start sublingual or subcutaneous immune therapy while taking your preventative medicines to reduce these issues over time. This methodology is very potent at reversing these issues. If you have food intolerances, try an elimination diet to remove the inciting inflammatory trigger and reduce the mucus and rhinitis development. In all, the bottom line is you want to keep the mucus at bay, 
Again, mucus is a sign of irritation to the body, so it's making the mucus to trap things to control that dysfunctional problem, whether it's a pathogen or an irritant. So if you have less mucus, that means you are less irritated, and then the most important part of that is you have a medium to grow bacteria that is no longer present, so you have less infections. All of this plays, and it turns out to be very important for what we want. And finally, in section three, stuffed colorful peppers, recipe of the week. If you want it, go ahead and head over to uh, salisburypediatrics.com, and the links are available for finding the recipe of the week. The song of the week is Can't Let Go by Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. It's a good one. Give it a listen. All right, folks, that is a wrap-up for this week. This is Newsletter, Volume 12, Issue Number 31, corresponding with Coronavirus Update Number 66. I'm your host, Dr. M. Hope you all have a great day. Appreciate your time. Remember to hug those kids. And if you think about it and you like this podcast, go ahead and rate it on Apple. That helps me understand if I'm moving in the right direction. And if not, that's fine, too. Just appreciate you all listening. Have a great day. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or the healthcare professional. It is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter audio cast does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship. Be well.